Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, host of the RouterFlex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job recruiting firm, RouterFlex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The RouterFlex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free routine maintenance inspection and never worry about your maintenance again. I just wanted to point out that I did get the Rider Flex branding memo in my wardrobe today, so you're welcome. <laughs> I like it. Maura Barkley on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Maura? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got the colors on. By the way, great mic, great lighting. I mean, just... Thank you. Uh, it, it looks awesome. So many times the guests come on and uh, whew, yeah, they don't, uh, they don't have it all put together. You do. So it looks good. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it, you know, I've, I've had some really awesome guests that I'm so excited to talk to and they've got a lot of juice in their industry and then they come on with AirPods and the <laughs> sound is so bad. And I'm like, Oh, do you have a, they said, no, I'm like, all right, we're going to roll with it. But you know how that is. You're just like, you, you, you take what you can get. Yeah, I yeah, I roll. I'm the same. I do roll with it, but it isn't it is nice to have somebody that's all set up? Uh, very very good. So, for the listeners, before we get into you know everything, people in HR and recruiting and all the different things you do, before we get into business, let's talk about more of the person. I want to know what, what's what's going on. What's going on behind the curtain? Give me. Let's talk about uh, the family first. Mom, dad, siblings, where you grew up. Kind of start early if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. I'm uh, I'm from Michigan. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's the only state that looks like a mitten. And I will share a little secret handshake with people. This is very special, rare knowledge I'm about to share with you and your guests. So just don't, don't spread the word. When you meet someone from Michigan, you will know if they're actually from Michigan because they will hold up their, their right hand or the back of their left hand and show you on the hand where they're from because it's exactly the same shape. I used this on, I was uh, going into my apartment building yesterday and the person in front of me had a Michigan license plate. And when we got into the elevator, I just held up my hand and pointed right in the middle. He goes, oh, how'd you know I was from Michigan? I loved it. Wow, that's pretty cool. I did <laughs> yeah. not know that. Interesting fact. Okay, yeah. wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So from the middle, where is that? So where are you from? So this is East Lansing, Michigan. It's the home of MSU. That's where my father, uh, trained clinical psychologist, uh, was a tenured professor 
of psychology at, Univers- or at Michigan State University, Go Spartans, for 38 years. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I lived in Michigan, um, and I have an older brother who, uh, he actually went to school at Cranbrook, which is a super cool, uh, amazing school in Michigan that's in the suburbs of Detroit. And then he went on to Maine and wound up going to work in China. He kind of pioneered China back in the late 80s when no Americans were there. So um, he's got an interesting story as well. Mm. And um, and his podcast is called Unbounded Life. Now he lives in Chiang Mai and he's just, um, he's he's amazing um, what he's done. So he and I are in very different places, different spaces, but um, we, we help each other a lot to this day. Nice. Yeah, and so I wound mm. up going to school at University of Colorado Boulder and I stayed there and worked as a firefighter for a while. And, oh, really? Uh, well, well, oh, yeah. well how, how did you pick CU? Uh, originally, I wanted to get into international relations because I have a language facility. And I thought maybe I'd want to be a translator because languages are really easy for me to pick up and, and oh. accents are easy for me. My brother has it as well. There's some sort of mimicry thing we have in our, we're like mocking Jays. We just, we hear it and we can spit it out. Like, I don't know. So I thought, well, maybe I should be a translator. And, and there was a handful of schools, uh, American University. Uh, let's see, there was a Middlebury in Vermont and University of Colorado at the time had quite a robust international relations program. So okay. uh, that was back when we were doing SAT scores, ACT scores. And little per- something about me is I'm a terrible tester. Terrible, oh. terrible. Yeah, but you got in, but you got into CU though. So you must- I did, I did, but like, um, I, I, I would say this: uh, standardized tests are not an accurate measure of intelligence at all. Agreed. Yeah, I to- <laughs> to- totally agree. Uh, yeah. Before I, I was about to start asking you about CU and the firefighter stuff, but I want to back up just for a second. How about your mom, real quick? Your mom? What? what- oh yeah. So my mom, she actually re- is retired and she lives in Thailand with my brother because, uh, well, not with my brother, but it's there. You know, she has her yeah. own her own independent living situation. Thailand has become quite the retirement destination for people and medical destination for people. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. very good. So your brother's in Thailand too. They're, they're, yes. I see. She moved out there to be close to him? Yeah, she wanted to be, uh, and granddaughter. So she, uh, right, so sense. yeah. So he married a, a wonderful Thai national. Uh, in fact, these are the names of my of my nieces on my forearm here, written in her handwriting. Uh, really? Sharpie, That's pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty the cool. Sharpie marker. I, I do Muay Thai kickboxing. And so our ready position is here. So I wanted the tie on my forearms, um, <laughs> you know, as you do. So yeah, um, I get to go see them and I have this amazing place to stay and family in Thailand. And it's amazing. That's yeah. pretty, that's pretty awesome. And dad is still in Michigan, retired. What's he doing? Chilling? Yeah. What's- so he's actually, he's with uh, my stepmother of God knows that they've been married forever. Uh, so they actually go to Florida when the weather in the Midwest gets untenable, which yeah. starts around November. <laughs> and then yeah. Yeah. when the weather in, in, uh, sunny Florida gets a little bit too hot for Midwesterners, he pops up North and they live on this beautiful Lake and Lake life is the best. I'm, I'm a That's big fan. Nice. I would like to, yes, I say Lake life rules. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Now. Uh, so they got divorced when you were little, were you still in school? Were you grow- Yeah. How old were you? When yeah. They got so divorced? I was about two and a half years old. Oh, so, okay. Um, okay. Oh yeah. Right. I, my brother yeah. and I were very young. So we were child, children of the sixties. We grew up in the eighties as latchkey kids. We have all the feral children stuff, you know? <laughs> okay. Now, 
you are oh, you you're giving your age away but you yeah. you don't look you you look much younger than you were you are you telling me you were born in the 60s no way. yes 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 i was no 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 can't yeah. be just I, I get my driver's license out but well here's the thing there's no sun in the midwest folks so there's no premature sun damage there's just we had i'll give you this <laughs> i remember when it was my i think it was my junior year in high school the sun was out for a for the, the so for the winter solstice I'm, I'm not talking about like oh the winter no the winter solstice we had a cumulative nine hours of sun in the entire winter solstice there's just <laughs> you know well, I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you right now. I, I had no idea. I, I just assumed you were. I was really. Just, I'm gonna have to enlarge. I, I got to right, I got my screen. Let me just let me just enlarge my screen. I mean, I'm looking at you right now, thinking you're in your late 30s. That's very kind of you. Well, there. I do have a couple of tricks up my sleeve, and for anybody who does podcasts, I will give you this. I have a standing desk that is cranked up to about 10 feet in the air, so I've got this awesome angle on my computer. And if you knew, like the lumens on the light in front of my face, it is as bright as the sun. So, with a couple of little tricks of the trade, I have taken. I. I this is how I put it. When when you have people take pictures of you with your phone. I say for every decade above 20, you go up about two inches. <laughs> I'm not kidding, folks. It makes a huge so difference. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm always telling my wife that too. So sometimes she, she's on video. It'll, it'll it, it, the video, you know, she's, it's looking no. up and I'm like, Kim, Don't no, do that. No, <laughs> no, you got, you got to get up. And it's also, it will for every decade and every 10 pounds, cause it will take 10 pounds off you every inch you go up. So naturally, so I've got good. the straight arm. I'm up here. <laughs> That's pretty good. Maura. <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, okay. And uh, so were you a great kid, good kid, rebel, straight A student, library of a day? I don't know. Were you calling dad from the sheriff's office? I mean, what kind of teenager were you? So I had a, a very, I would call it tumultuous childhood. Um, my stepmother mm. has a, she's a very high functioning. Uh, I forget what the actual, I, there's, there's a particular, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to like put a wrong diagnosis out there, but she and, and her family struggle with a particular mental affliction that is like she worked and she was really good at her job, but okay. she did have this struggle and she would medicate with alcohol. So she okay. was a bit of an alcoholic. And I okay. say a bit of an alcoholic because she could go to work and she's something like she, she's not drinking at work. She was working during the eighties and, and absolutely slaying, but then she would come home and it was a bit of a, a dumpster fire. So uh, my father being a, a psychologist, you know, I think he needed to have someone to help in order for him to, I, you know, be in his identity. So nice. he, he found this woman who needed a lot of help. And when she would drink, she turned into a bully. So my response to that was to become very compliant very compliant. Like I didn't break a rule. You don't have to yell at me. Cause in my mind as a teenager, I was very, very sensitive. I'm a bit of an empath, okay. which helps me in my job, by the way, it really helps me in my, if you know how to be an empath in HR, it's very helpful, but you got to know how to be an empath. And we can talk mm -hmm. about that. Okay. So uh, I developed this empath skills because I had to suss out when I got home from school, is it safe? I see. And a lot of people who had difficult childhoods, which by the way, it's most of us, but I mean, nobody's talking about it. When you have a, when you have a parent who's not safe, the second you walk in, your spidey senses turn on and you figure mm. out who do I have mm. to be? How do I have to be? How mm -hmm. do I get through this evening unscathed? 
Yes. And so, so dad was the primary. So you lived with dad. I lived with dad and stepmom. Right. Okay. And then yep. you saw your mom, you saw your mom like on weekends or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, at, you know, I stayed, I was living with my mom till I was at about middle school. And then oh, I went I to high school in a very, very small town in Michigan. Uh, I wanted okay. a change of, of scenery. So yeah, I, I moved from East Lansing to a little place called Saugatuck, which is right on Lake Michigan. Really oh lovely. yeah. I know where that is. Quick question. When your yep. mom, when your stepmom started getting a little, little wild there, did you ever call you, did you call your mom and be like, Hey, I want to come back and live with you? Or was that not an option at the time? No, I, I left for a reason. Uh, my mother has about 12 Olympic gold medals and learned helplessness and victim stories. And I'm like, I could see this is, not someone who would be able to give me the discipline that I needed. I and see. so I I went, <laughs> thought, oh, I'll just go, I'll hang out with my other set of parents, which was just a whole different set of difficulties that at the time seemed like a better deal. Um, I really didn't, I did not have a really safe place to be. Okay. And, uh, so right. I, and what my response to that was to become a warrior hashtag firefighter, title winning bodybuilder. I'm going to keep myself safe since my parents can't be trusted. That happens to a lot of people and a lot of women actually wind Interesting. up going Okay. Yeah, now, we wind okay. up going that way. Yeah. All right. So were you athletic in high school and college? Yeah. Uh, not in college. Cause there wasn't anything for me to do. Sadly, I was a competitive gymnast from the time I was eight years old. So okay. I started gymnastics when I was six uh, became a competitive gymnast and, uh, got, I went to the junior Olympics a couple times. Cool. This is what, you know, back in the day, obviously we didn't have power floors back then. We like tumbled on like mats. Like there were no double backs <laughs> because we did not have springs in our floors. So uh, everything was different. Uh, we didn't do giants on the bars. We did this thing called a beat because the bars were wood. There was a fiberglass was a new thing. So this mm. was like before all of the very OG gymnastics, like before mm, all mm, of the innovations. Mm. So the innovations led to more deeper, more exciting skills because you they were, everything was augmented. So I did that. And then I, when I went to college, I wanted to do, do gymnastics, but CU didn't have a gymnastics team. So I thought about being a cheerleader because that's where I could like stunt and tumble, but it was not my cup of tea. They, that was no, those were not my people and like no judgment, but they were really excited about who's going to get on television and looking super like glamorous. And I am, I'm not, I'm just like an athlete. I'm kind of a very practical tomboy. Uh, and I was just not into it. So gotcha. Okay. But I did. Now, know, I, I got to tumble with them, and I got to help them learn. I helped the men learn how to tumble because of okay. my background. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned bodybuilding, right? Yes. Is that what you said? Did you what what what's called? Give me that. Give me the story there. <laughs> so uh, uh, for gymnastics, I did have to learn how to condition, and and weightlifting was part of uh, later later in the game. Actually, it was when. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot to mention this. So I quit gymnastics when I was in fifth grade. And then I restarted as a sophomore in high school after I had gone through puberty, which was, it was interesting because I had not grown that much. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so wee. I'm like five foot two. I'm like fun size. You put me in your uh. pocket, uh, <laughs> but I do weigh a lot. I'm built like a Clagsdale. It's all quadriceps and shoulders and it's a nightmare. <laughs> I can't find clothes to fit me. I have to buy like boys clothes. Uh, which does not help. Like I'm like, I'm a heterosexual woman and I'm buying boys clothes. I'm built like a, you know, what house anyway, it's, it's, it's a whole thing. I don't get a lot of representation in the media. You can imagine anyway. So 
Yeah, I, I went back and started doing, I went back and did gymnastics again as a sophomore in high school. And we did have weightlifting as part of our conditioning. And I, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of into it. And then when I went to see you Boulder, there was nothing for me to do. So I started lifting weights and okay. oh my gosh, my genetics, I just look at like completely naturally well, on dorm food, eating dorm food. I won my first bodybuilding title. And so that was a lot of science. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You, have, you have to send me some, what'd you, were you, I mean, we're talking bodybuilding, like, like, uh, uh, just like you're doing the poses and you're going to the competition. Wow. Pretty cool. Wow. All right. You got to send yeah. me some old photos. We should, be, we should put up some photos on the podcast. I could, well, I do. I think I have a couple of photos I can send you. <laughs> are you still, are you still active with the training at this, at this stage in your life or no? Kind of, although I have to say, uh, part of my spiritual practice is going to Zumba. And the reason I say that is because uh, I worked in the fitness world at the highest end of fitness for very, very many years at Equinox. It is the top of the line. Very expensive. I worked in in management. I worked as a director wow. at okay. headquarters. I actually... I actually uh, co uh, commuted between Seattle and New York for a couple, you know, for, for a little while. So I've worked at the top. I have, I have uh, worked wow. with the, the most talented instructors in the world and going to LA fitness in West Seattle, Zumba, where some of the, the instructors don't hear the the rhythm the same way I do. So they're teaching <laughs> just slightly off. And I'm just like, this is awesome. And they are wonderful people. And it it, it helps me get out of my mind okay. and into the moment and just appreciate the fact that I'm moving my body. And then after that, I go into the weight room and throw down. Really? Okay. Well, very good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look like you're still in pretty great, awesome shape now. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. Very. Appreciate and how about your that. how about your diet? Like, are you are you pretty strict? Or are you you you, you kind of what are you average? Or are you watch what you eat now? I'm just you know, I'm asking that question for my own self too, because damn, I'm 56 and uh, I just, you know it's things happen, right? As soon as you pass <laughs> that 50 mark, you're like, uh, what happened to this body? Yes. All right. So uh, again, this is spiritual practice started to evolve, sort of. Um, it got in a strange way, kind of a life of its own. And I woke up one morning and I realized that I just didn't need to be a person who eat, who ate meat so oh, much, okay. which was difficult because I was a, kind of a strict paleo person for about a decade. All right. So to go from that to just, and I'm like carbs, I'm like, you can't, I'm like legumes. Really? I need to eat legumes. Ah, I don't know. So, um, it was, uh, I was a big shift in, in changing my cap, the, my body chemistry and, okay. uh, and also, you, you know, mm. menopause is a thing that, that men don't have to deal with. And so you can just imagine there's, you wake up one morning, like, you know, you know, here's five extra pounds that you didn't have yesterday. And it's like, what happened? So, um, there mm. is a whole piece of the there's a whole letting go of control of the body, especially for a woman, because, yeah. eh, um, you know, are you vegetarian now Are you vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. Really? I mean, I, I will eat occasionally like some scallops. Like I'm a bit of a pescatarian and I am from the Midwest. So I don't know that I will ever retire my, my eating of cheese because okay. I have okay. a moral no, obligation no steak, no steak, it. no cheeseburgers or steak. No, those are out. No meat, nothing, nothing with a mom, really. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, That's Mr. Right. Rogers right. says. 
Yeah. And are you are you careful careful with your carbs? Or you do you do eat some carbs, but you're careful, or how does that work? Well, I I'm very careful to make sure I'm covering all of my nutritional bases. So I have a plant-based uh protein powder that I that I use uh, in my diet, but I right. eat like a total peasant. I eat once or twice a day. I don't pay part part of my practice is I like to uh, when my body gives me the, um, the impulse that it's hungry, uh-huh. I just, I watch it and I'm like, all right, thanks for letting me know. I'm not going to eat now. It's part, it's, <laughs> it's like part that. of learning. It's part of learning how to not, uh, it's, uh, my body is my ally and my servant. I mm. am not my, uh, my body works for me. Mm, and so good. when, you mm. know, when I get the really base instincts other than breathing, which I'm really into and I'm, I'm, my body can tell me when to do that, but everything else uh, I, I push pause and I say, all right, yeah, I heard you. Um, we don't need to do that right now. <laughs> right now it's like my body's like a three-year-old kid in a way. Yeah. Tell me about the fireman thing. You, you said, you, did you say, did I hear you say that you were worked as a firefighter? I did. Yes. Okay. Now was that right after school during school? Where, where was that in your timeline there? So I graduated college with a degree in advertising and a minor in marketing in Spanish. And this was during the great, uh, uh, what, what, my, not great migration. What was it called? Uh, it, it was during like the big cutting of people. There was like this massive purge, uh, an exodus. There we go. There's a big corporate exodus. It was like when corporations really, it was late eighties, early nineties. And this was when corporations are like, Hey, we don't need to give people their retirements anymore. We can just fire them. <laughs> that started to happen. That's when it started to happen. So all of these professionals with experience were, were thrown into a very saturated job market. And okay. I was, this is the story I'm telling anyway, I was, you know, right out of college and, you know, finding a job in advertising at that time was, was more challenging than I had anticipated. And right. certainly uh, CU Boulder had not prepared any of us for this, this, uh, this exodus that this corporate exodus that had this culture shift that had, that had occurred. And I really wanted a career and, you know, I grew up in a very chaotic environment. And so being in chaos and kind of organizing it felt really organic and good to me. So I also like emergency services because it is black and white. It is fire and water. It is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm having okay. a medical emergency. I'm here to help. There is no gray area. It's like, and I really appreciated having, you know, growing up in an environment where I'm like, is it what's happening? And is it safe? La la la. Just to have some really clear boundaries on life. I was like, this is, it feels, it felt like a relief. Okay. So, uh, and I had already been doing the bodybuilding. I was strong as an ox and I actually went and joined a volunteer fire department first to make sure that I could handle the work because I'm so small. Okay. Uh, so I, I made sure first that I could do it. I also worked on an ambulance. I loved emergency medicine, love, love, loved it. In some ways I like the emergency medicine better than the firefighting, but um, that's mainly because I didn't get to do as much of it. The fire, the fires didn't happen while I was working. We always had this mm. saying, we don't want anything to catch fire, but if it has to, please let it happen on my shift while I'm working. <laughs> <Right>? so, <laughs> because we all want to practice. Uh, you don't want, you don't want a fire department that only gets one fire every five years. Cause that is not good. It's probably not going to go yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, that uh, would right? be, I would be, that would get boring. That would be be boring. Um, yeah. Why did you get out of that work? Uh, it was a couple of things. Number one was I realized very quickly that I was not a great culture fit. 
even though I liked the idea, I liked the work, but there was so much downtime. And I was at a phase of life where I was just into proving how smart I was. And I really wanted the men to respect me. And I thought the way to do that was through my smarts, which was the opposite of things. Uh, their, their nickname for me was Webster. I just did not know how to read the room. I, I was like, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the lady that they like. I'm going to be the one who never complains, who just shows up and does her job. And like, I'm, I'll be the cool one. Mm. And that was a mistake. That was a huge mistake. Uh, it, and eventually uh, I wound up uh, quitting because I was harassed by one of, one, one of the most problematic lieutenants. And, you know, one of the problems with uh, this is one of the downsides of, of unions, because I was very much pro-union. I was a union negotiator for a few years, even. Okay, okay. Sometimes unions have a tendency to surround a cancerous employee and protect them. Yeah, I could see That's that. Problem. By, the way, by the way, do you mind me asking, was this sexual yep. harassment or just harassment yep. in general? No, it was it was first sexual harassment. He, he touched me inappropriately in front of people, and it, it was like and he you. slapped me on the ass and, and in what? front of like what? in front of three slapped me on the ass in front of three crews, and and we were all just mortified, like nobody knew what to do. We were all wow. just paralyzed wow. by by his wow. impropriety, and I'm like, really, wow. bro, really? I mean, like, dude, what 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 are you doing? <laughs> and it was so mishandled by HR, the city mm. HR basically told me, I mean, I had an opportunity to involve the EEOC and the ACLU, sure, but yeah, sure. it, just, it, wasn't, it wasn't my thing, but was they basically that the trigger, was that the, tr sorry to interrupt. Was that no, the sorry. trigger, was that the trigger point for you into HR? Was that, nope. was that a, was that, was nope. that I was just wondering. Oh, okay. I didn't, oh, okay. Okay. I thought maybe that was like, Oh, this is now my, you know, I didn't know. No, it's, it's quite, I, it's kind of funny. It, and uh, it's kind of maybe even ironic that I wound up in HR. Uh, so, cause they've all HR has always been someone that I, that I, that I've like partnered with in different jobs, but I've yeah. never been in HR. Uh, I've worked in some HR functions, but anyway, so uh, the end of that story is, um, I had other relationships with other firefighters that were like my brothers and we would yeah. wrestle around and we would like hit each other because we respected, understood and appreciated each other. Like it was mm. a healthy relationship and all kinds of men had similar different relationships with one another. But because I had allowed another man to touch me, HR told me that it's, it was, um, I should anticipate that men won't know what's appropriate and that it would have been smart. I should basically not have any relationships where any men get to touch me because it sends the wrong message. I'm wow. like, wow. are you sure you, wow. can you repeat that? Like, did you really just say that to me? <laughs> yeah. Are you wow. kidding me? Wow. Uh, mm. So when I, I, I was like, you know, I, I could lawyer up right now and make it, but I'm like, it's not me. It's just not my style. Man, I we worked so it out. I yeah. am so careful. You know, I've been managing leading people for over 30 years and uh, I have always just been very careful about any uh, touching of a female. I mean, even, and we're, I'm a hugger. So right, me too. throughout, throughout my career, you know, Hey, how you doing, Sally? You know, give her, give them hugs and stuff. But man, even, even that, like, I'm just, I'm very, I'm, I'm even those I'm super careful and super short with, you know, like I'm very, I never wanted that to ever be uh, even sometimes like if I tap them on the shoulder or I kind of give them a pat right. on the arm. Sometimes after I do that, I'll be like, oh, 
oh man, I better, I better be careful with that. <laughs> and I catch myself because touch is my love language, man. If I appreciate you and I'm a hugger, I'm a big time hugger. So usually I lead with my hand and I'm like, are you a handshake or a hug type yeah. person to give them an out? Cause I don't presume. And then like, we took a picture <laughs> We at Emergy, we took a picture with my arm around. Uh, I was really excited. We were doing an on the spot award and I was in Atlanta and the um, the EA had had just done a, a bang up job with this on site. So uh, I said, like, you know, I want to feature her. And so we did a picture and I put my arm around her without asking. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the, uh... was the was that okay? Like, I, I just, I realized I'm like, oh my God, I'm also so careful. I don't, yeah, I, I, I forget. And also it's our, part of our generation. It really is. It part is. Of our yeah, generation. Oh, no doubt. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and you know, but here's the thing, the guys I had the, the relationships with, we, we would literally wrestle like, yeah. cause I have a brother, I have an older brother. I'm used to it. They would never, ever do what that guy did. They That's know crazy. what's appropriate. That's the thing that's so funny. It's like, listen, it's it, there is a, a way that men and women can work together and be collegial and, and yes. even be familial. Yes. And you just need to make sure that it's okay. And it's funny because the, the men who are respectful will never, ever have a problem with touching. It, they really won't because they're aware. It's yeah, the men aware. that are using yeah. touching as a means of domination yeah. they're the ones that are going to have the problem. This is yeah. not a, you know, it's like if you're using power in that way to show yeah. and you are not aware that you're using it that way, that's when you run into trouble. Yeah. You can have what you can have all kinds of closed door meetings with women. Just don't be an ass. Yeah. It's by the way, so I'm also, I'm, I was also, also careful about those. I was also very yeah. careful about the, the door being shut and I, was, uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was super careful. How did you, yeah. uh, okay. So you go so, from that and then you started working in the fitness industry, basically, I guess, for a lack of a better term. And then you did that for a while before HR. Is that accurate? Is that? Yeah, I had a very weird career path. I did all kinds of things. I <laughs> once I uh, once I I was working as a group fitness manager for Equinox and actually, no, before that. Yeah, let's just start there. So I worked as a group okay. fit fitness manager and. Uh, my, 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 my work style is it's called the Maverick and the PI system. And I'm extremely entrepreneurial. And I was always looking for ways. I can't help myself looking for new verticals, looking for new ways to take what we're doing and make it bigger, make more money or okay. involve more people just to get it, create, create, create. I, I can't, that's who I am. And okay. in that role, I was so, I felt so much pressure to, to not do anything that I was built to do. And I, I, a lot of it I loved, but a lot of it I was very difficult for me. It felt very constraining. And so when okay. I could get out of it, I loved all the mentoring. I loved all of the, the conflict management. Um, I, had, I had hiring, recruiting, training, identifying you know new talent. I, I loved all of that. I even loved the admin. I loved doing payroll. It was so okay. zen. I'm like, okay. give me a spreadsheet. I'm ready. So I loved those pieces of it. But the creativity part was was not there for me. And every okay. time I tried to do it, I it was crickets. I could not get anyone to send me back an email about the stuff that I was trying to do. And I actually successfully launched an initiative that created an entirely new revenue center. But they didn't. They just didn't care. They're like, they didn't well, care. All right. They didn't care. Right. They didn't care. I'm like, oh my gosh. If well, if I can't get if I can't get your interest with money, I'm out. Like I don't even know what to do with with this anymore. <laughs> so. Um, 
anywho, uh, I left that and I became a consultant and I had uh, created a women, an intuitive empowerment system for women called Unbreakable Woman. I wrote a book called Compassionate Self-Defense and Empowerment. And it is about self-advocacy. It is about how you carry yourself. It's not just safety on the street, although that's that was what I started with because I figured that was the, the smartest way to open up a market for myself is start with personal safety because women never feel safe. That is, the book never... uh, is the book available on Amazon right now? Unbreakable yeah. Woman, Compassionate Self-Defense and Empowerment. Okay, very good. Yeah. yeah. All right, very so good. So I thought, yeah, personal safety, that's the way to go. So it's an advanced situational awareness uh, manual. And it also translates into how women carry themselves in leadership. So I got on the radar of some Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies. And I got invited to do keynotes and lunch and learns oh, and trainings. Cool. Awesome. So cool. And then uh, on the strength of my book, I got networked into a military contract organization. Nice. They invited me in to do, because uh, curriculum development was something I love to do. Developing workshops, okay. unique, right. tailored curriculum to achieve a particular result. I, I, creativity. It's right up my alley. I love it, especially if it can be monetized. And now you're, so, now you're in your lane. Now you're fully in your lane and things that you're like, it. okay, you're enjoying it. You're passionate yeah. about it. Okay. Awesome. All right. So it's Very going good. into organizations and seeing where there were gaps and giving them tools and skills and strategies and tactics in order to, uh, hope, you know, drop, drop that little training. And then, you know, uh, hopefully they would take, take, take it and run. And with the military, I actually got to develop uh, original curriculum for their harassment and assault prevention initiatives that they did. And I got to fly all around with this teaching cohort, all male, all veteran <laughs> teaching cohort. I was the only female and the only civilian. It was awesome. They treated me extremely well. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, so that was, that was my consulting. It started there. And then I, I, I branched out and started to audit handbooks and onboarding okay. policies and okay. because the millennials were starting to come into the workforce and our generation did not know what to do with these kids. <laughs> they did not know how to handle it when yeah. someone's like, yeah, I don't care what your title is. I need a minute of your time. And Gen Xers are like, what are you talking about, kid? Go sit down and be grateful, right? That's what our generation says. Uh, sit down and be grateful. We yeah. will let you know when you can say something. And it <laughs> It shouldn't be challenging at all, right? That the welcome to Gen X leadership. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And so uh, I got brought in to help manage expectations for, for millennials. And that's what really started me on the path of understanding uh, culture and employee okay. experience okay. and where companies need to start the process so that they don't have issues once the ponies left the barn, once you get them hired. That's the pony leaving the barn. And it's very difficult to walk that pony back. You want to handle mm. everything before that happens, but they weren't seeing that. So I started mm. to get into strategy. Okay. That's, that's how I got where I am now. And I, I was working as, a, I've been in, gosh, a consultant and an, a solopreneur on and off for like 15 years. I see and, that on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, oh I, saw, I see God. that on your LinkedIn profile. So that's yeah. moving along great. You're making a living doing that as a consultant and, and, and working with various companies. It's all going good. You wrote the book. How did, let me, let me guess, uh, Emergy, uh, originally got you on as a consultant and then they talked you into going full-time, right? Actually, it was kind of the other way around. Oh, it's kind of oh. the other way around because, and I would say I talked them into it because I, I felt I saw a need that they didn't know to know they wanted. 
yet. Okay, but they brought you in as a consultant first. Correct, for pr predictive index and culture, oh, I yes. See, I see, I see. And then you were yeah. like, hey, I like you guys. You got you like me, and then you worked at it. And, and now you're, uh, for lack of a better word, an employee there. Are you still doing some consulting and book stuff and podcast stuff on the side? Or Emergy's, you're all in at Emergy, and that takes up all your time. I only do my podcast. I don't have time for anything. I, I don't even have time for the podcast, but I'm doing it because I think it's important. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm all in with them. Okay. It's, what's, it's the, what's the name of the podcast? What's the name of the podcast for everybody? The, the, the podcast is called C change and that's the letter C dash change, like C suite. Okay. C change, changing business culture for good. Okay, on Spotify and everywhere else. I mean, everywhere. Apple, all the, it's on all the platforms, and the the whole idea of it is the following. I recognized when doing my women's empowerment work that men are the solution here. Any equity issues we have, white, heterosexual, cisgender men, middle aged, most likely me. They you you me, are the me. answer. You are the answer. <laughs> so instead of having all this diversity, equity, and inclusion, and women and blah blah blah, like it's all important. I don't mean to diminish it. So please don't misinterpret my blah blah blah. All of that, all of this effort can move the needle about a quarter of an inch or one white man in power inside the system can make one small choice and move it a mile. Ooh, I haven't heard an it said that ounce, way. I see what you mean. Mm, an, yeah. an ounce, an ounce of white male CEO commitment is worth a pound of HR policy. Wow. White men okay. are the solution. They can work the system from the inside. It is the system designed by them for them inside the machine it takes very little effort to make a tweak this is where the answers are right uh, here now i am not in a position to tell white men anything i'm just not going to do that they don't want to hear it from me because i don't understand their world i don't know what it's like to grow up in that culture but white men who did grow up in that culture have made the shift, have successfully brought in women and people of color and are absolutely killing it in their businesses because they have diverse decision-making mm. teams. They can help their brothers make that choice. So I interview those guys. Gotcha. Do you yeah. think we, we, I'm going to say we, cause I'm a 56 year old white male. So my group, my club, my club, yes. Yes. Has my club, club, has my club, have we gotten better? Have we gotten better in general? Are we improving or are we not? <laughs> are you looking for kudos right now? Is this no, the no, white not, man not, no, 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 not totally teasing no. you. Totally no, no. teasing you. No, I just, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just curious as to somebody like yourself, an HR diversity expert, when you look at our, when you look at us, my club, I guess I'll yep. keep saying that for, yep. are we improving or, or are we not? I, 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 <laughs> Here's what I would say. There are a handful of absolutely exceptional middle-aged white guys, Dave Smith and Brad Johnson. You couldn't get more white middle-aged men than these guys. They wrote, they co-wrote a book called Athena Rising. They wrote another book called The Good Guys. And it is all about how and why you should mentor women and how to mentor women. Mm how to do it effectively and why okay. it's so important. And it's not just women, it's women of color, it's black okay. men, it's, it's, it's people of color, it's people who are differently abled, it's people who are, uh, you know, uh, uh, LGBTQIA+. You can apply what they say. They, they have awakened. I would say the, the number of white men who have awakened into the unsustainability 
of the culture you've all been indoctrinated into. And I use the word indoctrination very, very intentionally, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. if one of you steps out of line, the machine might unravel. So the male policing is intense. And I'm sure you can speak to that. I've, I've read, I've researched about male policing. It's rough. There's a define, reason that define, men don't, yeah. Uh, male what's, policing, what's the definition? Yeah, yeah, what's the definition of that? Male policing is a means by which men hold, men hold each other in check to not step out of line in the culture, into the, into, of the bro culture. It's a way they maintain compliance mm. in the, of the bro culture. Do yeah. you think, um, do you think, this is such fast. By the way, we could do a whole episode. We just could do a whole episode just on this stuff. We could do a whole episode. Do you think it's unconscious decisions and actions by my club because we were just kind of raised that way and brought up in that culture? Or is there malicious, bad intent decisions more often than not? What do you think? I, I, well, I, you know, it's such a huge question. And I, and, um, and I love that question and I would love to unpack it <laughs> the whole, like in another episode too, I like know, that's right? the story. but here's yeah, the, sorry. here's the thing though, Steve, no, no, please don't apologize. It's such, these are such important questions to ask. Number one, you, you have to re- I'm going to answer your question in a couple of different ways. And I think it'll make complete sense once, once I okay. uh, land the plane here, okay. when I say gender issues, who pops into your head? Uh, you mean what group? Yes. Uh, We've got to talk about gender issues. Who's popping into your head? Who's coming uh, to that meeting? The, who's, lead- uh, who's leading the meeting? Yeah, no, who, who's, who comes into your mind as needing the to- group. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess group? the LGBTQ community, maybe? Okay, so gender is LGBTQ. Okay, now if we have well, culture issues we need to talk about, we need to talk about cultural awareness. Who else pop- who's popping into your head when we talk about cultural awareness? Uh, minorities. Aha, are white men not part of a culture? Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, they, they are, are white yeah, men I'm not sure. part of a gender. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't you find it interesting how yes. invisible? Do you do you feel the invisibility? Oh, yeah, totally. Because yeah, yeah. it's that invisibility that yep. has kept white men out of the out of the the conversation. It's it's that invisibility that your tribe is trying to protect. Interesting. Because with the invisibility comes lack of accountability. Mm. And whenever mm. it, uh, you are brought into the light through, for example, Me Too, how many men who were not ready to look at that went scurrying back into the shadows and be like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm never alone with a woman. Oh, yeah, no, that definitely scared me. I, I know my actions. I'm, I'm like, oh, shit. I, yeah, I don't ever want to be in a closed room with a woman because I don't want to be accused of something. I know that affected me. Uh, that that's a invis- false invisible. narrative, by the way, that does not happen. It, that you bought into the false narrative. It's not uh, your fault. It, that's part of the male policing. Don't I do see. it. They're going to get you. They're going to ruin your career. Like they did <laughs> this, uh, this terrible, abusive man. You're not that guy, but yeah. do you see how you fell for it? Yeah. Oh, totally. The yeah. invisibility is a, it's an interesting word. I was, uh, I, I judged myself, uh, by using the word uh, what did I use unconsciously um, doing something that I didn't realize I'll, I'll tell this try to make this short and then, we'll, then I want to ask you a couple more questions before we run out of time uh, when I put together the advisory board for Ryder Flex our recruiting firm 
I wanted an advisory board. We weren't an official. We didn't need a board of directors, so to speak, but I, I did want an advisory board to uh, have a, a, to help our reputation and things and branding when we first got started. And I just wanted mentors around me that were going to offer good advice. So what did I do? I made a list of friends, former bosses, people that were in my circle, right? And I got the list together. And next thing you know, I had seven advisory board members. Guess what they all look like? <laughs> like you. They look exactly like you. <laughs> they look exactly like me. Of course. And, and I never, like, it, it, it seriously, like, never even crossed my mind. Like, I never even thought about it, really. And then what happened was uh, a friend of mine, uh, Joe, Joe, but she's female, Joe, J-O, she calls me one day and she goes, hey, she goes, I just looking at your webpage. She, had, she was a, a CFO for me back in another life before I started RiderFlex. She goes, hey, I was looking at your webpage. She goes, you know, all your advisory board members are middle-aged white guys, right? <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, didn't really think about it. And so just, she's like, hey, you need some women and minorities on there. I'm like, yeah, you're right, I do. <laughs> and then she goes, yeah. then she goes, by the way, uh, you've inter now, now we've interviewed over 400 people on the podcast, but back then I think I was up to around a hundred or so. Right. She goes, yeah. by the way, like 85 out of your hundred guests or, or white males on the podcast. <laughs> I was like, like, fuck. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Not good. <laughs> Here's but the thing though. My, my point, my point is like, uh, but, but I, I wanted to defend myself by saying, well, I wasn't like, I wasn't like consciously doing that. You know, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm not going to interview that person because they're African-American or whatever. Like, I, you know, I, I never thought that way. But but because I wasn't thinking about it ahead of time, I made those decisions that put me down that path, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lack of awareness because your yeah. club has never been asked to be aware of such aware. things. Yeah. Right. And and it's new for you. Also, your club has not been dealt any training for the cognitive dissonance that befalls you when you realize, holy yeah, shit, holy shit, yeah, holy shit, <laughs> I have been participating. Now, the thing that yeah. I want to bring into this conversation and the whole reason for my podcast is the following for people like you who have been under the, uh, uh, been under the veil right? Yeah. You've had blinders on because that's yeah. how you were raised. Yeah. You are unconscious of this. It is critical that we do not treat people like you with this shame and blame business. Like we have yes, to pull that, shame and blame. That, I think that's important. This, I'm glad you brought this, that up. Yes, please. Like, and I tell, and I tell people this, like if you come on my podcast, if, if you're a black woman or if you're a woman, listen, I get to say this because I've been through it. Yeah. There is no shame. There's no blame. There is no judgment. There is no man bashing allowed. And I say that's like the yeah. first page of my book. P.S. Half the people, there's only a handful of people who have reviewed my little book. Half of them are men. Yeah. Five stars. Half of yeah, them I, are I, men. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because I do agree. Uh, like I, I have come across, sure, sure. In my career, um, I have come across, um, people that are racist i have come across uh, men that treat women unfairly but i will tell you that that is rare like i rare. mean I, i've seen it but it's rare. rare it's rare most men are like me like they're just kind of yeah. moving along in their day and, they, and then they then they wake up and go oh i got 
80 percent of my podcast is white oh shit i didn't know like mo yeah. most most of people i know are like that there's i don't know a lot of malicious uh, uh bad people that are are just really uh making conscious decisions to be racist so i'm glad you said because sometimes the media sometimes sometimes quite frankly the media i, I wake up and i just like feel guilty because i'm a 56 year old white guy and i'm like what did i do not, i don't feel like yeah i didn't do it it's, okay. <laughs> it's not okay it's not okay like it, it's i don't think we need to go all the way to the other side that's not necessary. And yeah. I, I always, I, I maintain this, and this is part of the, the research that I did for the women's empowerment work. 10% of the population is causing 90% of the problem. Yeah, and like we're that. so focused I, on the 10% yep, that is fucking it up for all the other awesome men or I, men who are just harmless, but they don't, they've just not been trained to be aware. Like it's people like you that yeah. need to be treated with kindness and welcomed to the conversation. Like yeah. white yeah. men, we need Good you. Point. We are not going to exclude you <laughs> from the conversation. We want you there. It's not going to be all black women and gay people and people in wheelchairs. Yeah. You, we need you. We want you. We That's promise good. we will not treat you the way you've treated us. That's good stuff, Maura. That's good right stuff. There. That is good. That is good stuff. Um, let, let me do this. I'm going to uh, just pause just for a second. Hold on. Maura, one more question on the diversity. By the way, fast, fascinating conversation. I'm going to have to have you back on the show because we could go so much deeper and longer. I love it. Um, you know, and maybe we could just do a whole show on that. But um, as a recruiting firm, uh, you know, because our day job is recruiting firm, right? The podcast is, is a marketing tool for us, but our day job is recruiting. We will get clients sometimes that will will say to us i want a a black female or i want an asian female or i want a young person uh, uh, under 40 or whatever right they're 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 giving us specifics and we will usually say well, okay hold on first of all we don't discriminate against any groups we're not going to break any laws we're not going to you know, our job is to present the best candidate. Um, if you have a diversity goal, um, that's great. Uh, I, I, we'll try to be sure we recruit from uh, all the right places to give you a good mix right. of candidates. Right. But if I interview Fred, who's 48-year-old white male, and he's great for the position, I'm not going to exclude him from the list I give you. That's how I've been responding. Should we be responding any differently? How should we respond to that when a client pushes us that way? Well, I think it's important. I, this, when somebody says, send me a black woman, what I hear is we're getting all the same candidates. We just want to see somebody, somebody different. Mm. We, want, we want to see more representation in the candidate pool. That's what I hear. Because okay. when I, it's, listen, I work in energy. You want to find an industry that is more white male dominated, finance, <laughs> uh, rail, you know, I, there's a handful. Water and energy are old and they go way back and it is very much entrenched in, in white male culture. And so when I want to hire someone, I want to look at a diverse pool because I want to, I want different points of view. I mean, it's one thing if, and I don't, I want to be clear here, got a higher skill, right? It's, I don't, education, I'm not worried about skills are first and foremost, 
And then I want different points of view. So I want to have a diverse pool. So I wouldn't call out a particular gender or or ethnicity or ability, right? Or sexual orientation, like to me, the, uh, prescriptive hiring is very dicey. You want to break the law, you want to get in trouble. That's the pathway right there. Yeah. Right? You want to break the law? No, totally. Prescriptive hiring. Yeah. yeah totally. <clears throat> so I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Yeah, t- completely. Yeah. I, and I, I want to follow that up with one more thing. Um, I get, I get a lot of phone calls from former executives looking for work or looking for help or asking for my advice on things. I get more calls from white men between the age of 50 and 60 out of work, used to be an executive, whatever. And they're telling me I can't get interviewed. Like they won't interview me because of my age. I felt like I'm being discriminated against because I'm the white older male guy. And, you know, because of the consciousness now around being diversified, they feel like they can't they feel like they're being discriminated against now. Is that true? Do you think that's true? And what would you tell those guys when, if they called you, what would you say? (laughs) Well, one, I I don't think I can speak to the truth of it without having a white paper in front of me. I haven't seen enough research to really speak to that in an educated way. And I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to talk out of school about that, but I would say there is most likely far more of these men in the job market than there has ever been. So suddenly there may be a flood of Mm. these types of candidates. And it's not that they can't get a job. It's just that they're already represented in so many interviews Mm. and they are not used to it. So they Uh, of course feel like they're getting discriminated against. And unfortunately, welcome to the world when they're now that we have the need to bring different voices in there's mm-hmm. only this many spots available for people of your experience and skill mm-hmm. level. And yep. you represent a particular point of view that is already represented in this group. Mm-hmm. And we need to look at other points of view. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of you with your point of view in the job market right now. I see. I you see. see? Yep. Do you feel yep. the, the difference yeah, yeah. there? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, you know, the ageism thing too, you, you, boy. Yeah, you and Our- I both, we, we can talk about it. We can talk you know, about our, it. our clients all the time, like, uh, you know, they, they're, they're too old or they're too senior. You know, they, it's like I had, I had an old mentor of mine tell me one time, he's like, he called me. Uh, he'd gotten laid off. He was an old boss of mine and he'd gotten laid off. I think he's around 55 or so at the time. He, this was a long time ago. But I'll never forget what he said. He goes, Steve, he goes, here's the deal. After you're 55, nobody gives a shit. that's interesting it does kind of feel that way sometimes for candidates right like once they're over 55 like oh boy Uh, yeah you know uh whether we want to believe it or not hiring managers discriminate against age they do they do period not all the time but they do even if they don't want to admit it i see it constantly as a recruiting firm yeah Uh, there is uh, and this is the thing i can't figure out like People are complaining bitterly about Gen Z and millennials. And right. yet I'm like, listen, you want some grit? Hire a Gen Xer. 
Why yes. are you messing around with it? Like, are you kidding me? Let me tell you, my company, Emergy, was not shy about putting a 5.30 a.m. meeting on my schedule because they're on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. I'm a Gen Xer. You know what I said? I'll be there. Camera on. Let's go. We don't think about that. We just show up and we work. That's yeah. what we do. That's, right. That's how yeah. we were trained to be. So yes. it's fascinating to me. They're like, they're giving grit books to other generations. I'm like, just hire people who have grit. <laughs> Why point. is this so it's difficult? Good advice. Yeah. Isn't that so true? You nailed it. That You nailed it. They complain because the millennials don't want to work 80 hours a week or whatever. They, they don't think they have the same work ethic, but yet they won't hire the Gen X. That's such a good point. That's such a good Thank point. You. Okay. Thank you. We can keep, we can keep we can going. We can talk about that. That's a whole nother episode. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> I want to ask you uh, real quick here before we run out of time. Last topic for, for this show, by the way, let me just, Maura Barkley is on LinkedIn. Um, you can connect with her there. And uh, if you look her up, in case there's a million uh, Maura Barkleys, she works for Emergy. E, uh, and just for just so everybody knows, E-M-R-G-Y, Emergy. Uh, and she is the Director of People and Culture, right? Is that right? That's that what correct. Okay. Yeah. Director of People and Culture. So if you find more than one more Barkley, yeah, just look look for the one that works for, for Emergy. And would you want to tell us real, real quick, tell us about yeah. Emergy. Give us a quick overview. And then I want to ask you this last this last question about hiring. Go sure. ahead. Tell us. Yeah. So Emergy is doing something really unique. Uh, Emily Morris, who I interviewed on my podcast, because white lady has a whole, as a CEO, has a whole nother set of of challenges regarding diversity and inclusion. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, interesting conversations around that. So I had to have her on my show. That's how I met her. She has pioneered something that has never been done before. So we're doing something completely unique and we're first to market. When you think of hydroelectric, typically people think of dams. And what she's figured out how to do is tap into the thousands, if not millions, of agriculture and industrial canals that have water moving through them 24 7 365 all around the world this water is millions of megawatts just flowing and she has figured out how to put in modular hydrokinetic turbines drop them in and start generating clean cheap power awesome yeah awesome i mean it's a great idea Uh, by the way it's energy e M-R-G-Y. One more time, emergy.com if you want to learn more there. Emily, I also had Emily Morris on the Riderflex podcast too, so they can listen to her interview there with me and tell the audience what the name of your podcast is one more time. C-Change, C-Change. Okay, very good. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't understand why these aren't everywhere. When Emily came on my podcast, I'm like, well, I just kind of looked at it like, well, this is like a no brainer. Like, well, why wouldn't, yeah. why wouldn't you do this? I, I don't understand why these aren't just everywhere right now. Like, well, what is the holdup? <laughs> yeah. uh, she mentioned that the municipalities and different, uh, the, the owners of the land and the waterways, she's like, it just moves so slow because it's, you're talking about government agencies and different people right. involved and it's like, so Oh God, much. it's like pulling teeth. Yeah, the the regulatory bodies around water, and as I mentioned, rail, one of the uh, only other uh, areas of uh, ownership is water, irrigation districts, water rights, that's as old as rail. And also the Bureau of Reclamation, we have, there's, I mean, 
board, the uh, re renewable energy. What's the other one? There's also tribal lands oh, and, and working yeah, with, man. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's, it is quite a morass of red tape that needs to be navigated. <laughs> and there is a tremendous amount of technology that is also involved in computer modeling to make sure the hydraulics work and what's the capacity and the economic opportunity and yada, yada, yada. It goes on. And once you pull that thread, it is a long one. So there's yeah. definitely, uh, again, we're first to market. There's nothing in place to deal with this. There right. are no beelines. We have to have, we are walking through the forest with a machete and it is dense. <laughs> it is dense. <laughs> uh, it's a very cool, very, very cool idea. Great, great company. Love what you guys are doing. So I'm wishing you guys the best of luck as you move along. Uh, okay. I want to ask you one more thing here. I know we're over on time. I'm sure you're up to date on the AI and the tech advancements and chat GPT. And I mean, hell there's, I don't know, there's like a new, there's like a new app or software every week. I'm like, you know, somebody's sending me something. I'm like, okay, now I got to learn another one. Yeah. And I, I think I, mean, I kind of want to get your opinion on this. I, I feel like because for example, software engineer, software engineer job postings are down like 60% compared to last year. All of a sudden, all of a sudden the guys that used to be in, the highest demand uh, are all of a sudden uh, looking for jobs. I think that's hilarious, by the way, because software engineers were so, so cocky for so long in the recruiting world. Uh, do you foresee white collar laptop jobs uh, in some cases? Are, are they in danger long term here? And then and all of a sudden the blue collar trade skill jobs are the, these are the the most valued. What, what do you see? I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Well, I think this is kind of like television and movies. When the when the television came out in the 50s, the movie theaters were were in a panic, you know, oh my god, movies are going to go away because mm. now people can watch uh, in their living rooms. But did that happen? No. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you think about specialty skills and there's things that only humans can do that I don't care what anybody says. Mm. There is no intuitive wisdom in computers. They will never have it. They will never have the human touch. They mm. will never have common sense. They will only have aggregated data. They are not smart. Yeah. Yeah. It is not artificial intelligence. It's artificial organization. It's artificial Ooh. computing. Ooh, I like that. I like that. The lack so of EQ, I right? I guess they, they, yeah. won't, they don't have the EQ piece for sure. <laughs> no, they never will. And that's not their job. They're here to optimize. They're mm. here to optimize. And I think they're going to do an amazing job of it. And I think what would be wise for people, and this is why I love being in the human, the human business, is I, I feel very safe in my, in my work because computers will never have the ability to help people work it out, to yeah. be able to get a vibe, uh, you know, and recognize you know, that is what our, that is what ultimately uh, is most valuable about us. So any any and, and manufacturing like energy we we're manufacturing brand new things we're, we're machining things that have never been done before we can put things into computers but we don't even know what we need yet they're here to help us i think ai generative ai it is here to help us to optimize us in ways that we just haven't had before so yeah there's going to be some i would say some work that is going to be obsolete or will maybe need to become more sophisticated or more humanized and okay. that is where you want to look, right? The, the look at, okay, what's coming down the pike? 
what can I do that generative AI cannot do? Like yes. my, my ex-husband is a writer and he's not worried about his job because he's able to capture people's stories in a way that AI will never be able to because he's so, listening to um, the essence of the people, right? That's different. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've talked to your ex-husband about ChatGPT and all that then. He's yeah. not worried about that. He doesn't, he's, he's no. not, no? Not at all because he's able to, for example, when someone needs a tagline. So here's a little thing I want to just throw in here. And I know we only got like a minute left. Words have a frequency. They have a vibration. They have a resonance. And people who are skilled at choosing words are capable of taking the resonance of the intention that people mm. are looking for, such as in a mm. tagline, mm. and plugging in the correct words that resonate that are getting them, mm. just do it. Mm. Yeah. Do you, there's wow. a resonance in that, mm. do you see? Mm. Yes. This is what AI will never be able to capture. Mm. I love that. Boy, that's what great, great explanation. Great overview. Maura, I know you got to go. I would, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to come back to either to your show or I'm going to have to have you back on because we got, I can, I we can got keep so going. much to talk about. Great, great interview. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Appreciate your story. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Steve.